Today is Blue Sunday. The whole month of April is Child Abuse Prevention Month. Blue Sunday is the last Sunday of April. It is a Sunday where churches, faith communities are asked to pray for those who are victims of child abuse. Did you know that there are three million confirmed cases of child abuse every year in our country? Three million cases, three million children. And do you know that there have been 1,640 children who have died because of this abuse? And that most of these 1,640 children are under the age of three. It's heartbreaking. It's mind-boggling. And it's not okay. And the question that, that we ask ourselves is, what can we do? What can we do as a church about this uh, problem, this huge problem of child abuse? And I think one of the most fundamental things that we can do as a church is to establish that we are pro-children. We are pro-children. You know, there's a lot of debate about being pro-life and pro-choice and and that debate has its place, and I know that you have your position in that. We, we are definitely pro-life, but, but it's important to go beyond that and to also say that we're pro-children because Jesus was pro-children. He, he makes that clear, crystal clear, in a number of places, and, and today I would like us to go to one of those scriptures our text is found in Matthew chapter 18, beginning with verse 1. Matthew 18, 1. And it reads like this from the NIV. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such, a, such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Then if you'll jump with me to verse 10, verse 10 reads, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. There are a couple of things, two or three things I want to share with you from this passage, and then about three or four applications that will come from that. Uh, most of it will match the notes in the back of your bulletin, some of it may not, but the first thing that we see in this passage is that Jesus values children. That's how we know that Jesus is pro-children, because of the value he places on them. The disciples here come to Jesus and they want to know who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They want to know who is the most important in the kingdom, and when they're saying kingdom, they're talking about the rule of God, the rule of Jesus. Kingdom is wherever a king rules. 
And so there is a sense in when we see in the Gospels the idea of the kingdom of heaven that we think of a future kingdom, but it is not always a future. If Jesus is ruling in the present, then it is the present kingdom that we are talking about. And here the Bible talks about, the disciples are asking about who is important in your reign, who is important in your economy. Uh, last year, my wife and I had the opportunity to visit um, Washington, D.C., and uh, among the many things that we got to do is we got to take this picture with uh, Dr. Andrea Reyes Ramirez. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Andrea. Andrea, we met her about 20 years ago. Her father and, and Gus Reyes and us were friends, and we decided that we wanted to start a youth camp in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, and we started the youth camp, and Andrea was a young girl. She was one of the teenagers at that time, and, and our families spent a lot of time fellowshipping, and, and we've been in touch throughout the years, even though we've moved to different towns. And we saw her go to college, uh, Dallas Baptist University, and then she got married, and she had children, and then she went to graduate school and got her PhD. And, uh, and when we were in Washington, D.C., she invited us to visit her in her office because Dr. Ramirez is now the, the director for the Center for Faith and Opportunity Initiatives with the U.S. Department of Education. What that means is that she's just a layer or two of influence right below the president of the United States. And I, I don't know what your political leaning is, but regardless of your political convictions, I think you would recognize that it is pretty impressive that someone you know as the youth in camp uh, is just a level or two away from speaking into the president's ear. In fact, she's used her influence to invite those of us that are faith leaders to speak to the White House. And so we've been invited to conferences at the White House and, and, and teleconferences and so forth. But, but we recognize when we see people of power and influence, we recognize them by the positions they hold in a particular administration, don't we? Well, what the disciples of Jesus are asking here is who will occupy the important places in his administration? Jesus, when you take charge, who are going to be your top cabinet members? Who are the people that will have your ear? Who are the people that will have the influence in your kingdom? And Jesus says to them, children and those who become like them. The disciples must have swallowed and said, what? Wait, what's going on here? Because see, the world values people because of their power. The world values people because of their position. The world values people because of their fame. The world values people because of their influence. That's the world's value system. And the disciples are obviously operating out of the same world system. They were thinking of power and influence. They were trying to figure out how to come on top. When Jesus took over, as they were expecting him to take over, how could they be in a prominent position? And Jesus says to them in verse 3, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The disciples needed a conversion of their mind. They needed a transformation of their thinking. 
they, if they were going to operate in the kingdom of God, they needed to operate from a position of humility and dependence. And Jesus takes it up a notch, if you notice here. He not only says that the greatest in the kingdom are children and those who become like them, but he says, as a matter of fact, you cannot even enter the kingdom unless you become like a child. You cannot even be a part of the community of Jesus unless you become like a child. Pride, self-sufficiency, and the lust for power will keep you outside of the kingdom. But humility and dependence and servanthood are, are, are the door that will allow you to, to walk in. We call this being born again. It is becoming like a little baby. Have you experienced that new birth? Have you come to the place in your life where, where, where you quit trying to be a, a grown-up and, and a self-sufficient person and say, you know what, I'm just going to be like a baby and I'm gonna trust God like a father, like a father that he is, and, and, and you're born again. Have you experienced the new birth in your life? Because the new birth makes you a new creature. It, 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 it changes your heart so that you can uh, live the life that God wants you to live. And it changes your, your mind. It, it brings about a transformation of your thinking so that your thinking is lined up with God's thinking. That's why the answer to, to their question by Jesus is so shocking. There's a disconnect because children in the first century were not held in high regard, especially by the pagans. The Jews had a little bit higher value for children than the pagans did, but, but it still wasn't what Jesus uh, thought it should be. And that's why he is teaching them a lesson. He says, look, there's a completely different value system in the kingdom. It works, it operates completely different from how the world operates. Jesus says, I, in my kingdom, what I really value is humility, simplicity, vulnerability, I value childlikeness, and we need a change. The disciples needed to change the way they thought. We need a change. There's a double application here. The, the first one is that if you wanna enter the kingdom of God, you, you must become childlike. You, you must become like a little child. And the second one is that if you enter the kingdom of heaven, you must value childlikeness which means valuing children. Interestingly here, in the next chapter over from when Jesus is teaching this lesson to his disciples, there are people who are bringing uh, their children to Jesus so that he can bless them, and the disciples stop them. And they rebuke the, the parents and they say, how dare you bother our important master with such insignificant little punks? And Jesus corrects them. Verse 14 of, of Matthew 19, just one chapter over, he says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Jesus values childlikeness. He's teaching adults to, to become like children, spiritually speaking, such as these. And being childlike includes valuing children. See, if we become like children, then part of what happens is we begin to value children. 
We begin to see them as God sees them, as Jesus sees them. We begin to remember that song I learned when I was a little boy that says, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. And if he loves them, then we ought to love them too. If they are valuable to him, they should be valuable to us. They're not important. Children are not important because of what they'll become. Sometimes I hear people, and I think that's just our culture, I hear people saying children are important because they're the future. But that's not why they're important. They're important because Jesus says they're important. They're not important because of what they will produce one day. We're, we're such a materialistic society that, that we think in terms of production. Children are not important because of what they'll produce. They're important because Jesus says they're important. And so they should be important to us. Secondly, we see here that Jesus identifies with children. Isn't it interesting that when God became man, he started out as a baby? He decided to start out as a baby. Adam and Eve didn't have to do that, right? When God created the first man and the first woman, they bypassed childhood and they bypassed adolescence. They didn't have to be teenagers. They sh showed up as adults, kind of like Captain Marvel. She just showed up, right? Didn't have to go through the childhood thing. But when God became man, he became a baby. He decided to be inside the womb of a mom, the son of God. And to be born out of that womb and to be held in the arms of a mother and to experience everything that a baby experiences, everything that a child has ever experienced, Jesus experienced it, he identifies closely with them. And that's why he's able to say here, whoever welcomes a little child in my name welcomes me. I'm closely identified with him. When you welcome a child, you welcome Jesus. When you love a child, you love Jesus. When you protect the child, you honor Jesus. To be sure, when Jesus says here, whoever welcomes one such child in my name, he's including more than little children. He's talking about children and those that are like them. Later in the same Gospel of Matthew, Jesus talks about the parable of the sheep and the goats. He's talking about that day when the king will separate those who are genuine disciples from those who are not. And listen to what he says. Verse 35 of Matthew 25 Matthew 25, 35, it says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus identifies with the least of these. He identifies with the hungry. He identifies with the thirsty. He identifies with the stranger. He identifies with the poor. He identifies with the sick, with the prisoner. He identifies with the marginalized, with the vulnerable. He identifies with the oppressed, with the fatherless, with the widow, with the abused, with children. Our treatment of those who are vulnerable is closely connected to our relationship with Jesus. 
When we treat children with dignity, with love and respect, we're treating Jesus with dignity, love and respect. My wife and I had the opportunity to watch the Breakthrough movie uh, this week and I'm gonna try not to spoil it for you if you haven't seen it, Uh, but it is the true story. It is a true story about Joyce Smith who uh, with her husband goes to Guatemala on a mission trip with her church and and they adopt a a little nine-month boy. Her relationship with Jesus caused her to be welcoming to this little boy who needed a forever home and so they adopt this boy and they call him John and they bring him back to the States and, and, and they raise him and they love him and they provide for him. They welcome him as they are welcoming Jesus. And then he grows up to be a teenager and at 14 years of age, he's playing with his friends on a, a frozen lake that has a very thin layer of ice and the ice breaks and he falls through and he begins to drown. I said I wasn't gonna spoil it for you. I'm not going to, I promise. I'll say this much. I'll say that uh, when the rescuers pulled him out, that that, uh, they couldn't get a pulse and and they took him to the hospital and he was declared dead. And and the mom would just not want to give up. She prayed a bold prayer over him. And and while he was in the hospital connected to all the life support uh, machines and all, she on one occasion overheard the doctors talking about his situation and, and how hopeless it was and how it was senseless to keep him on life support. And, and she told the doctors, listen, if you don't have anything positive to say in the presence of my son, then leave the room and go talk somewhere else. Like a big mama bear. Loving her child in the most difficult moments. Honoring Jesus by taking seriously the assignment that she had been given. We either honor or dishonor Jesus by the way that we treat children. When we see them, we need to see Jesus in them. Welcoming children means to treat them with dignity. Welcoming children means volunteering to teach them on Sunday morning or Wednesday night for those that are called to do it. To, to go with them to Camp, to camp Sefer and and serve as counselors. Welcoming children means that that we acknowledge that our worship services are not for adults only. That if, if, if children are important to God, they're important in our worship service. We might have preschool care for, for babies through kindergarten, but, but children are welcome to come and sit with their parents and be part of our worship. You know, I, I think about modern life for parents and, and children, it, it mostly separates parents. It's not like it used to be in the old days, in the farming days when families would do a lot of things together, but now parents go to work, children go to school, then after school, children have soccer practice or volleyball practice or ballet practice, and then when they're at home, parents are reading the newspaper or watching TV or working on the yard and kids have their earphones and they're on their iPad or, or they're gaming. And, and, and then we come to church and adults go to their class and children go to their class and, and, and then we want to come to worship and we don't want to be distracted by children and then we wonder why there's a disconnect between generations. We wonder why there's a disconnect between children and parents. See, because we might spend a lot of money on soccer classes and on cheerleader uniforms and, and on extracurricular activities but, but caring for children is not how much money we spend on them, it's how much time we spend together. And so 
we welcome children in our worship service because we believe that families ought to worship together. They ought to have shared spiritual experiences where they can connect with God together, where they can, where they can tell stories to each other, where they can uh, make those connections with God and know that they are important to us. In our home groups that we have started, we have encouraged our home groups, listen, don't make your home groups adult Bible studies. Make your home groups families on mission. Make sure that when you fellowship and when you worship and when you open the scriptures, that children are in the room. They'll benefit from being with adults and grandparents and the grandparents will benefit from having children in the room. That's what we do in our home group. Children read scripture and they discuss and, and they pray and they're part of the highs and lows because we believe they're important. Thirdly, Jesus advocates for children. Children have an advocate in Jesus. In fact, Jesus gives a warning to those who would harm or mistreat children. In verse six, we, we've read it already, but I'll read it again. It says, if anyone causes, this is Matthew 18, six. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Now here, little ones may refer to little children and spiritual children. The tender reference is to those who are vulnerable either because of their age or because of their size or because of their spiritual position. The point is that whoever will cause one of these little ones to stumble, that means whoever will cause them to sin, whoever will cause them to fall, whoever will cause them to trip up, that it is a serious offense, that if our words or our actions cause a little one to be derailed from God's plan, we are guilty of a serious offense. That if our words and our actions cause a little one to be discouraged, to lose innocence, to lose trust or confidence, that we are guilty of a serious offense. It's not often that Jesus says mean things, right? Jesus is loving and merciful and compassionate and inclusive. But when he came on the fig tree, he was mean to the fig tree. When he went to the temple and there were vendors there, he was angry and he kicked them out. And when he comes to children, he gets angry with those who would hurt them, who, those who would make them stumble. He says, you'd be better off taking a millstone, putting it around your neck and throwing yourself to the deepest part of the sea. That's a strong word. My wife and I had the opportunity to visit the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C. last year also, and there's this mock village that uh, is supposed to display Nazareth as it might have been when Jesus was growing up. And one of the things that they had there was a replica of a millstone. And it's a millstone that is used to either grind grain or in some cases to grind olives to make olive oil. And it is propelled by a donkey. And if you see this picture here, uh, you'll see the size of the donkey and the size of the millstone. You imagine when Jesus says, take that size of millstone, put it around your neck, and throw yourself to the deepest part of the sea. That's how serious it is to Jesus that someone would hurt a child spiritually or physically or in any other way, emotionally. We're not talking about loving discipline by a parent or authority. Sometimes we need tough love. But discipline 
It's supposed to direct the child to be healthy, to be confident, to be loving and trusting. Discipline may be strong, may be unpleasant for the child, but it directs them in that direction. What Jesus is talking about here is the opposite. It's, it's when our words and actions cause the child to develop shame and fear and a lack of trust. Jesus says, when you do that, you'll be accountable to me. Now, it's not the unforgivable sin. There is an opportunity for repentance and for change. But it's serious. And Jesus says, not only am I their advocate, but, but he points out to the fact that children and little ones have representative angels that have direct access to the Father. Did you catch that in verse 10? Verse 10 says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that they're angels in heaven. You, you, you say, where do we get this idea of guardian angels? Well, it doesn't use the word guardian angel, but, but Jesus says, they're angels in heaven. They have angels that represent them before my Father. Now, I don't understand a lot of things. I don't understand why some children have to suffer. I don't understand why some children have to go through, through the pain and brokenness that they go through. I don't, I don't get it. But I know that Jesus is their advocate and that they have angels that represent them in heaven. That God is not blind to them. And I thank God for, for those who stand in the gap, who are advocate, advocates for children. I thank God for Calvary that, that has a legacy of advocating for vulnerable children in many ways. Uh, in the past, in history, you, many of you, are, are people who invest of your time and your money and your lives in the lives of children. And you encourage families, and we're so thankful for you. We're thankful for ministries like One Star Fish Ministry that, that stands with foster parents who, who may get a call from CPS and say, look, we need you to pick up a, a child of such and such age or such and such gender, and that foster parent may not have all the equipment they need to take care uh, of them, but they can know that Calvary has a resource closet. Do you need a high chair? Do you need a crib? Do you need a car seat? Just call us. We'll be glad to lend you one, if not give you one, so that, so that you know that whatever you're doing for these children, you're not doing alone. And it's a privilege to serve families like that. Jesus values children. He identifies with children. He advocates for children. Jesus is pro-children, and so should we be. Let me give you four applications as I close rather quickly. The first one is pray for children. We will pray today at the end of our service for children who are victims of abuse. Uh, we'll pray for their safety and we'll pray for them to be rescued from situations that are harmful. We should pray for the unborn and for the born. We should pray for the children in the womb and for the children who have already been born because they're both, both of them are vulnerable and need somebody to stand in the gap for them. And we should pray for our children. We should pray that, that God would protect our children from evil and that God will lead them to a life where they can know that they can love God and they can be protected from, from the evil one. Which leads us to the second one. We should protect children and those who would harm them. We should be swift to act when we see a child at the risk of being abused or neglected. We should do the right thing for them. Here at Calvary, we have strict child abuse prevention policies. The workers that take care of our children in our children's building 
and I go with our kids to camp have to undergo a very extensive screening and education process. It is cumbersome, but, but we believe it's important because we take seriously the responsibility of taking care of children and protecting them. Maybe it's close to my heart because I was a victim when I was a child. Maybe I get it. And maybe you do too. Maybe you know what it's like to be abused. And you have that heartache. And you don't have to live with the heartache. You can have healing. And you can be proactive about protecting our children. And here at Calvary, we're committed to do that. And if we have to take it up a notch, we'll take it up a notch. And if people don't like it and they think it's cumbersome, I'll, I'll say, I'm sorry it's uncomfortable to you, but I'm going to take care of the children that God has put in our care. The third thing that we can use to apply is we can advocate for children. Children cannot defend themselves. They need somebody to speak for them. Speaking up for them means standing up when the laws are unfair, that, that, we, that we speak up so that they can have safe homes, so they can have access to quality education, regardless of their socioeconomic status, so they can have access to food and, and nutrition. And then fourthly, we should support moms and dads and families. Being pro-children means supporting moms and dads and families. Children need loving families to provide for their needs. And families need support. And one of the ways that we can support, there are many ways in which we can do it. I'll just give you a couple of examples. One of the ways we can support is we can support moms who have unplanned pregnancies. There are, there are young moms who are struggling because they, they didn't plan a pregnancy and they didn't know what to do and the world's speaking at them from different angles and, and we can stand with them. There's a center here in the valley called Hope Prenatal Services and they are organizing a walk for hope. What they do in Hope Prenatal Services, they offer pregnancy tests and counseling to, to moms who have unplanned pregnancies. And this Walk for Hope on May 18th is a way for, for the church to, to go out there and walk in public and say, we're going to stand up with, with moms who, who are expecting babies and they don't know what to do. They don't know how they're going to be a mom. They don't know how they're going to support. They don't know how they're going to go to school. But, but we're going to tell them they're not alone. And, and we'll walk with them to make people aware of it and to make families know that they're not alone. One of the things that, that we are doing here at Calvary, and I'm so thankful that we're doing it is called Care Portal. Care Portal is a ministry that goes and tries to get to families before children get placed in the foster care system. We wanna support foster parents, but what if we can help families at risk? And so Care Portal is this partnership that we have with the state of Texas and with other congregations in our city. It is a website and when families are at risk of losing their children because they can't care for them well, because they need some support or some resource, then they can go to that website and they can ask a church and say, look, this is what we need so CPS won't take our children. And then Calvary can say, well, you know what? We can provide that. Our ABF can provide that. Or the deacon body can provide that. Or the youth minister can provide that. I got an email a few days ago from Janetta Lanus, who has been instrumental in setting this up. And she said, Pastor, we just had our first care portal interaction. 
And she told me the story of Yvette. Yvette is a young mom in La Jolla who had twin boys. And for some reason, the boys were removed from the home because perhaps she couldn't take good care of them. And it must have broken her heart. And she wanted to get those boys back. And so she's done everything that CPS has asked of her. She's gone to every visitation, and she's kept every rule and every requirement of education and counseling that she had to comply with. But then she accesses our care portal and she says, what I need as part of getting my boys back is I need two playpins and one high chair. And do you know what? Calvary was able to deliver those two playpins and that one high chair to Yvette. And Yvette got those two eight-month-old boys and she was able to hold them in her arms. And not only did she get these playpins and this high chair, but we were able to tell her, God loves you. And Calvary Baptist Church is going to pray for you so that these boys can grow up in a loving and safe home with you, Yvette. Isn't that great? Isn't that what Jesus would have us to do? Isn't that what it means to stand in the gap and to welcome little children? Now, I'm going to ask you two questions today as we close in response. The first one is, have you become like a little child in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven? Have you been born again? Have you come to the place in your life where, where you've quit every effort to be good and to be religious and you've just been like a little child and trusted that what Jesus did on the cross is all you need to enter the kingdom of heaven. And that his resurrection from the dead gives you the power to be the person that you need to be. If you haven't done so, you can do that right now. You can pray right there where you are and you can say, I want to be born again. I want to I enter the kingdom of heaven in humility and vulnerability. I want to receive the forgiveness of Jesus and the power of the resurrection. You can do that right now. The second question I want to ask you, if you're already in the kingdom of heaven, is what does it mean for you to be pro-children? What is God asking you to do this week? Is it to pray for children? Is it to volunteer with children? Is it to advocate for children? Is it to help a ministry like this Walk for Hope or this Care Portal to sign up? Is it to, to protect children? What is it that God is calling you to do? You know what it is. The Spirit will show you. And you can make that commitment right there where you are. Would you bow your head for a moment and just think about how you'll respond to this message today? How is it that God wants you to obey him, to trust him, either to enter the kingdom of heaven or to operate with the kingdom values of being loving and redemptive to children. Maybe you've been a victim of, of child abuse or sexual abuse and today what you need the most is healing. You need God to heal you and to redeem you so that you can start again. And you don't know how to do that but you know that you need to begin by trusting God. This is the time to trust him right now.